Hi. Response. Mate, amazing. Uh, Barcelona won this morning. I'm very happy. Sorry. Um, right. Hey, we're doing, this is a th- third uh, talk in our Soma Basics, looking at the basics of our church. Kind of going through Ephesians, but today we're going to go all over the place. So, Now, if you've got a book, and there are some at the front table if you want to grab one, then all the verses we're looking at are there, so it's quite a lot of verses. Now, you can access the online version of this um, on our website on the front page, so... This is talk three, if you don't realise. Talk three. We're getting there, and today we've got a picture of Emily. Spirit-filled temples. How cool is that? That's right, it's Emily, right? Yeah? It is, it's true. I'm not making it up. Alrighty. Um, So far we've looked at God's glorious purpose for the church, and last week we looked at our glorious identity in Christ. Now, when I was uh, in high school, my second car, my first car was a Peugeot 404. My second car was, you name it, you, uh, a Datsun 1600. Yeah, we, like, it's famous. Everyone knows about it. Yes? Like, Australia's greatest... Old people do, Dave. No, 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 no. It's not true. Like, this, these cars still dominate club car rallies. Everyone knows about Datsun 1600s. People are with it, Stuart. Um, it's... Australia's greatest rally car, especially rough road rallies, and it won everything in the 70s, yeah. Uh, (laughs) But fixed front suspension, I think, and um, independent rear suspension, I believe. Lightweight, super manoeuvrable, strong engine and gearbox that never broke down. So it was a great rally car, and I had one. And I'm kind of a fast driver. You probably don't realise that about me. Like, Glenda's constantly telling me to slow down. And recently, people have been passing me on the highway, and it's so humiliating. <laughs> because Glenda keeps... Yes. No, it's not because I drive an Astra. Uh, it's, um, it's Glenda. It's her fault. It's like, Glenda, please don't tell me to slow down. I like driving fast. It doesn't work. Um, anyhow, these Datsun 1600s... Fantastic. Now, what if my Datsun 1600 was aware of the glory of its identity? Right? Um, Like, if you know you're a Datsun 1600, you'll want to do cross-country rallies, right? You want to slide around dirt roads on the corners and become airborne all the time and just go and go and go and go because that's who you are. You're a Datsun 1600. And get the glory of it. I want to be a Datsun 1600. Um, Well, it's like that in Christ. We have a glorious identity. We are the adopted sons and daughters of God, inheritors of the whole new creation, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, with the Spirit. That's a glorious identity. And when, when you know who you are, you'll go, I just want to live that out. I want to live in that reality. That's who I am. So today we're going to do the second part of who are we in Christ. The second part of our glorious identity is that we are 
spirit-filled temples. You can take the Datsun down if you want. And what happened to it? The same thing that happened to every Datsun 1600 in those days. Rust. Rust. Can you leave it on the No, I did not. I did not, no. It was sad to see it go, though. Everything has been, like, nowhere near as good. I asked her to kind of look. It's kind of similar, but it's not. You know, I'm sad. So... Yeah, the glory of our identity in Christ is that we are spirit-filled temples and we need to understand that. So we can look at this individually and then we can look at it corporately. Next week we're going to look at it corporately and missionally. But today I just want to zone in on what it means that we are spirit-filled temples as individuals who belong to Jesus uh, and I have two ideas to explore. Tabernacle slash temple is the first idea and then living water. So what I'm trying to get at here is to really understand the living and dynamic work of the Spirit in us and how glorious that is. That's what I'm trying to get at. Right, starting in Ephesians, but we're going to look at many verses. All right, first idea is tabernacle temple. Ephesians 2, 3, 13. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then skip to verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Back in the history of Israel when they were wandering through the desert, God dwelt with his people in the fire by night and the cloud by day. And when they stopped, that cloud and that fire came down upon the tabernacle in the midst of the camp and God dwelt with his people. In the later temple that was built, the glory cloud of God's presence filled the temple and God dwelt with his people. But this could only happen through the sacrificial blood In the rituals of the tabernacle and the later temple, as we see in the book of Leviticus, the blood purifies not only the people, but the temple furniture and the temple itself. So they put blood on the people and on the furniture and on the temple. Why? Because anything that has the smell of death on it, anything that has corruption or decay or sin, can't come into the presence of God, right? And the blood of a sacrificial animal represented life. The blood represented the life. And so when the blood covered everything, it was purified, it was cleansed so that God could be present in the temple and with the people. Make sense? So the tabernacle or temple, 
Oh, can't do it. Um, is just a picture of the reality we now have with Christ. We have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. He, through his death, has purified us when we put our faith in him so that God can now dwell in our lives and among us. God's life-giving spirit now can fill us because of Jesus' blood covering us. Alrighty, so that's the first idea. Secondly, living water. John 7, verse 37. On the last day of the greatest day, uh, last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. <laughs> Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. What's he saying? If you come to me, living water will flow within you. The deep thirst of your heart will be quenched by the Spirit of God. Come to me, he says, and be filled with the life-giving water. Of God that never runs dry. I will satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. If you're thirsty, Jesus says, come to me and drink of the living water. Now when Jesus says, as the scriptures have said, he's not just referring to one verse, he's referring to all over the Old Testament there are references to this. Remember Israel travelling through the desert and at one point they're thirsty and they have no water and God provides water from the rock. And Psalm 105 looks back on that and says, he spread out a cloud as a covering, he's talking about the cloud of his presence, and a fire to give light at night. And they asked and he brought them quail, which these guys raise, which is pretty cool. Birds, little birds. So God provided quail and he fed them well with bread, the bread of heaven, the manna. And he opened the rock and water gushed out. It flowed like a river in the desert. So this is where this symbol of the living water flowing it started to come into Israel's consciousness. This is... Something where God provided what they needed. And it became a prophetic symbol of a reality that was to come. Something that Israel began to long for. The day when the real living water would flow in their desert. When God would satisfy their deepest longings. In fact, Ezekiel is given a vision of the future temple of God. And in Ezekiel 47, in the vision, God takes the prophet Ezekiel on a tour of the future temple. Verse 1 of chapter 47, the man, this is the tour guide in Ezekiel's vision. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple. 
toward the east, for the temple faced east. Verse 3, as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, about 500 metres, and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? There's a river flowing from the temple of God and it is so deep. And then he led me back to the bank of the river and when I arrived there I saw a number of great trees on each side of the river. He said to me, This water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. Now listen to this. When it empties into the sea, the salty water will become fresh. This is transforming water. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish Because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. This is life-giving water. Many, many fish. This is reproductive in nature. This gives life that brings more life. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Engelane. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. This is speaking of the future reality when all the nations will be brought in to the kingdom of God. But the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh, so they'll still have plenty of salt. They'll need salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow, and on both banks of the river... Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. See, why does this river produce life, sustain life, reproduce life, give life, yield fruit? It's because it comes from the sanctuary of the presence of God, the temple of God. Their fruit will serve for food. And their leaves for healing. It's not, not only is it life-giving, life-sustaining, life-producing, life-satisfying, and, life, uh, and fruit-producing. It's also healing. It's healing, this river that comes from the temple of God. There's healing in the leaves of the trees where the river flows. And Jesus says in John 7, where we started... I am the temple, and from me flows this life-giving river. In John 1.14, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory. Jesus is the tabernacle from which the river flows, from him to us. He is the true and better temple of God. He is the one 
in whom the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form, says Colossians 2 verse 9. He is the true and eternal temple that the tabernacle and the temple were merely pictures of. And by coming to him, we come to the temple of the living God and we come to the life-giving water that will satisfy our soul. I love how Jesus addresses the woman at the well in John 4. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who offers you a drink, oh, sorry, who asks you for a drink, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. In other words, do you know who I am? If you did, and he's saying this to us today, if you knew who I am, you would come to me and I would give you living water that never runs dry. Never runs dry. I'm the one you need. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, speaking of the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give them will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is saying, you get me, you get this river. You get this life. You will live forever. Because the spirit in you will raise you from the dead in the end. But even now, this spirit brings you into life. Life to the full. Life of trees growing on both sides of the banks. Fish everywhere. Fruit. People coming in to know Jesus. Healing. This power of the spirit is available, says Jesus, to you and I, if we come to him. The Spirit of God will well up within you. A life-giving power that you do not have in and of yourselves. Do you have this Spirit? Do you know this Spirit? See, after Jesus died, they put a spear in his side and blood and water flowed out. Why? Why the blood and the water? The blood means that we have been cleansed and forgiven of our sins. But the water means that we are given the spirit of life. The river flowing from the side of Jesus. So that he both forgives us and cleanses us. But then fills us with his spirit. If you Years ago, uh, we bought this, the house that we're in now in Springwood. And when we were looking for the house, I remember we weren't looking for a house that was all run down and needed lots of work. <laughs> you know, we wanted a move-in ready house like that had it, a new, this house had a new roof and all of those kinds of things. And I thought, yeah, great, this is great. We can just move in. I don't have to do all this work to get it ready to move in. Um, but that's not how God does it with us. He, he chooses unrenovated human beings. 
He chooses broken, messed up human beings. People who are marred with sin and shame, um, um, who, who have no glory of their own, who are not holy. We were people who he could not dwell with. But what he does is he sends his son to die so that that blood would purify us, make us move in ready, make us people he can dwell with so that he could then pour his spirit into our lives and dwell with us. Ephesians 1.13 calls the spirit a seal, saying, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. It's like a stamp of God's very identity, his DNA on us. We belong to him, is what God is saying. We are his sons and daughters through faith in Christ. His seal marks us out as his, his own. And Jesus says in John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I want you to hear this. If you belong to Jesus, you are not alone. You might feel like an orphan in this world, but you're not. His life is in your life. He has moved in to your very soul and being and dwells with you. He has given you an advocate to help you. John 14, 12 to 14, Jesus is talking about the great things that we're going to do to the glory of God. And then he says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. I will do it. (laughs) What great words. We can ask him and he will do it. He is with us and he is with us to help us. This is such good news for those of you who are tired and weary and worn out by religion. Because the things we're called to do are not meant to be on your back. We're not meant to do this alone in our own strength. No, we have his power. He will do it in and through us and for us through his spirit who is the helper. You might feel so alone in your life, but you're not. You're not alone. You're not alone at all. He's with you. So walk with him. Commune with him. He's your helper. He's your life-giving water. That will never run dry. 
Maybe you've been in church your whole life, but you've really been walking alone. And you don't realise that's what you've been doing. You thought it was just a matter of the right doctrine or having the right serving that you're doing. But that's not Christianity. That's works religion. That's empty, powerless religion. Christianity is being united with Christ, communing with him through his spirit and walking in his power. Moment by moment, day by day. This is the Christian life. Are you experiencing this power, this companionship, this communion, this life-giving energy from the Spirit? Maybe you do feel alone. Learn to walk in him. Learn what that means. First, become one of his through faith in Jesus. But then learn to swim out into his love and grace for you and the power that he has available to you. Learn to enjoy him and know his power in every moment. And you might be going, Dave, I'm tired. I'm tired. Um, And the problem for many of us is that we're soul weary. And that's not the same as being physically tired, right? Like, it's actually really, in a funny way, energising to be physically tired. (laughs) You know, to know that you've expended yourself in serving God today and you hit the pillow and fall asleep immediately, that's energising, that feels fulfilling. But But the problem is when we become soul weary, Like I'm striving, I'm trying to please God, I'm doing it on my own. I don't understand how to walk in the Spirit. We're doing it in the flesh. That's why we're weary on a soul level. That's not how we're meant to exist. We're meant to mount up with wings as eagles, run and not grow weary, walk and not grow faint. Isaiah 40, verse 31. We have the power that is that raised Jesus from the dead. Remember last week we looked at. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That means we have the Spirit. Do you know that? Do you have that? Do you experience it? See, what keeps you going when things are tough? (laughs) Well, the greatest thing in my life is to commune with God. And I mean that. I mean that. Like, you're supposed to say that, right? Uh, But actually, that's true. Like, to walk in his power is just wonderful. To live life with him living life in me and through me and to know that is what keeps me going and energised. And you know what? 
I'm not soul weary. I don't know if you noticed that about me. I'm really not soul weary. I think it's because of this. I've never named this before. It's amazing to know the presence of the Spirit and the power that he gives us. Do you know this? Do you know the communion and companionship of Christ in your daily life? Do you have the thirst-quenching water that brings your desert to life? Jesus wants to quench your thirst. Isaiah 44, verse 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Do you feel dry? We all have these desert experiences. God, please, give me the rock that gives me the water in the desert. Well, we have the rock, Jesus, and the water is his spirit, which he pours lavishly on us. Maybe some of you are dry or weary or lonely. Come to the spring of living water. This water is so deep, you cannot exhaust the life and power of the Spirit. This water produces fruit in your life. If your life isn't producing fruit, this is why. This water brings fish in from all the nations. And the nations will be glad in the river of God. This life-giving spirit brings healing. Does anyone need healing this morning? Maybe there are wounds in you that have never really healed. Spiritual things, bitterness, overwhelming pain. Is it a spiritual thing? And you need healing. I suggest pray with someone today over morning tea. Find someone you can share that with. Physical healing is available through the life-giving spirit. Pray. Ask. In the name of Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, I just need help. You go, I just need help. He is our helper. In my case, sometimes I don't want to do things, right? <laughs> I, don't want to do, I don't want to obey or I don't want to do what Jesus wants me to do. I like getting up in the morning and preaching on Sunday morning. And maybe I didn't have any sleep the night before, thanks to drinking two coffees that Glenn made me yesterday. I was like, oh, I didn't sleep at all. Bummer. Uh, um, maybe it wasn't that. Maybe I was just worried about a lot of things. And so I didn't sleep last night. And this does happen to me a fair bit. And, but the Spirit assures me, I will give you the energy you need. And I'm almost near the, at the end, by the way. I've <laughs> 
The Spirit's got me there, uh, almost. Um, I will help you, says the Spirit. I am, I am life bubbling up within, you, within your soul. I can get you through it. And so what I do now is I just walk in the Spirit. And this I've experienced again and again and again and again and again and again and again. It always happens. I'm calling out, give me desire, Father. Give me energy. Give me strength. Um, And he does. He does for the things he is calling me to do. So, have you experienced this? Is this your life? This is the abundant life. I think the definition of the abundant life really is living a life that you could not live in your own strength and power. That's brilliant. How do we have this life? It's to commune with the living God and walk in the spirit. In other words, realise who you are. Realise who you are. You are a spirit-filled temple of the living God in Christ. Is Is that right? That's the reality of who you are if you've come to Jesus. Walk in that reality. We pray, we read that verse from Ephesians 3, where Paul prays that we will do that. We will know this love of Christ and this power. But we need to walk in that. We need to commune with the living God moment by moment as we live out our identity. And a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned Tim Chester's new book, Enjoying God. I know many of you have grabbed a copy of this already, and I'm hoping that every single person in our church will read this book. I'm hoping and praying that that will be the case. Because he, he, in a gospel-centred way, tells us how to walk in the Spirit, how to experience the love and power of God in every day. 